the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Got a real short opening today. The What You Need to Know, the wink. Go over to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up. But we've got some unbelievable guests today. We'll talk with our friend Ted Malik. He's going to give us a closing argument on the election that's just a few days away. And also, Dr. Paul Kengor will call in from Pennsylvania, where he'll give us a breakdown on the ground there. But also how Joe Biden, he's been an activist for abortion for 30 years. He didn't. He's often said he was pro-life for a long time. He's not really. But before, I just want to tell you two things, two things you need to know today. First of all, uh, you know, on Friday, Rush Limbaugh left his show in mid-show, which is unheard of for him. He's like a warrior. He's done this for decades. And he left because he's just not feeling well, which is amazing because he probably would have had a fill in if he wasn't feeling well. He's just he's he's really battling for his life. And I just want to say out loud, guys like me that do radio and just guys, guys like me, I'm from Missouri. He's from Missouri. He's an extraordinarily talented man, an extraordinarily good man, uh, and he's going through a heck of a deal, probably at the end of his life, to be honest. And so I just want to say out loud what people should realize. Uh, you know, this Rush Limbaugh has been an extraordinary American original, one of the really great creators uh, on par in my mind with people like Mark Twain, uh, Walt Disney, maybe is not the exact comparison because Disney actually built stuff. You know, he built the amusement parks. But in terms of creativity, extraordinarily uh, talented. So uh, that's number one. I want to make sure to say that out loud. The other one is on Sunday, just a few days from now, November 1st, Sunday, in right here in San Diego, uh, a friend of mine sent me over. There's a rally to reopen the uh, Thomas More Society attorney, one of the attorneys who these guys are fighters uh, for the future. His name is Charles Lemandry. He's a lawyer right there in San Diego. He's going to be having a rally at on, on Sunday, November 1st, 12 noon to 1.30 at the San Diego County Administration Center. You can go and, and, and find out more. Do a search for his name. Again, it's uh, Charles Lemandry. And also the, the PR guy that got me on this was uh, with TC Public Relations. But I'll, I'll just put this up on social media, too. It, it's a peaceful protest on Sunday at noon in front of the County Administration Center in San Diego there to say, hey, look, we want to get back to our lives. We cannot be make the cure worse than the illness. 
So uh, other great sponsors of this are, uh, are the, the Salt and Light Ministries. You know, the, our great friends there. And one of my great friends, a great woman, is uh, Dran Reese. She'll be part of that. So find out more about that. That's important to do, something you can do on Sunday. And uh, we got to take a quick break, though. we got too much to cover. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend and frequent guest, Dr. Paul Kengor, who is up at Grove City College, is with us again. And I think I told you, Dr. Kengor, I don't know if I told you on the air, so I'll tell our listeners, I was interviewing uh, uh, Ambassador Sam Brownback, the former governor of Kansas senator, and he said, yeah, I'm reading this book called The Crusader, and it's really about how Ronald Reagan, the clarity he had on the fight with the communists and the, and the Soviet communists, and of course he was referring to your book. And so I said, you mean, he, and he didn't say the name of the author. I said, is that the one by Dr. Kengor? He said, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. So there you have yeah, it, yeah. Uh, Paul Kengor. You're, yeah, you've well, got the you. uh, movers. Yeah. Hey, he has well, even, even better for you. He made me get off the, get off the interview with him. And I bought that as a book on tape on audible so I could listen to it. I've been listening to it on the road, driving in and out of work. So you, you got two converts there that are looking at, and the mm-hmm. book I think is about mm-hmm. six or seven years old. So my point here yeah, is it's really valuable. So good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Good. All yeah. right, now, Dr. Kengor, you're up in Grove City College. Before we get to what's happening on the ground in Pennsylvania, which everyone's going to be most interested in, you had a piece in the National Catholic Register a few days ago now, about five days ago, describing uh, when Joe Biden played a role in the abortion, well, in, in the law and the history of abortion that people don't quite remember. Walk us through this piece that you wrote and the importance of it. Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable moment, Ed. June 29th, 1992, it's at the Amtrak station in Wilmington, Delaware, of all things. And it's described by Senator Warren Rudman of New Hampshire, who had been a liberal Republican, a pro-choice Republican from New Hampshire. And he and I only know about this because I read about it in his memoirs. I've got to be probably the only person in America that read Warren Rudman's <laughs> memoirs. But, right. but he describes looking down the platform, and he he sees Joe waving at him, smiling, and 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 they start ru- rushing toward each other, running to each other, ecstatic, and and they hug and they embrace Ed, and they're they're all excited and giddy, and they cheer and they hug, and Joe is saying, "You were right about him. You were right about him." And and this him is this this third guy named David, right? And people are wondering, well, what are we talking uh-huh. about here? Well, it, it, the David was David Souter, and he was the judge. He was the judge, the justice who cast the deciding vote, the crucial swing vote in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the the Supreme Court decision that enshrined Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. And and uh, that, that was the one court case that could have chipped away and maybe even overruled Roe v. Wade. And uh, you remember this, you probably remember this well, uh, George oh, H.W. I Bush did. was the president. Yeah, yeah, he was appointing, he was appointing um, suitor. No one really knew where he stood on the abortion issue, and here was Joe Biden, powerful head of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and his pro-choice buddy, Warren Rudman, said, hey, listen, I'm telling you, it's okay, it's okay, he's with us, he's with us, he's okay, he'll be all right. And so Biden took his word for it, and Biden shepherded through David Souter by a vote of 14 to 3, Ed, in committee. You'll compare that to Amy Coney Barrett, not a single Democrat in committee. 
committee even showed up, they boycotted the vote, and not a single Democrat voted for her on the Senate floor. The vote for Souter on the Senate floor was 90 to 9, of all things. Wow. And, yeah, and with that, they had their pro-choice stealth nominee, and he would be the critical swing vote in preserving Roe versus Wade. So I call it the, the moment when, when Joe helped save Roe, when Joe Biden helped save Roe versus Wade. And not many people know about this. Well, and two, two, two comments. Number one, um, that decision came out, as you mentioned, uh, it's June 1992. And I think that's right, at the end of the term. And it was... Um, Sometime later, when I had first my my college classmate from from Holy Cross College, College of Holy Cross, is Father Paul Scalia, now a priest. He wasn't a priest then, wow. but he, I recall wow. him talking about how uh, they. He said, "You know, you have to, exactly what he said." You have to, and he, I remember him saying, "Pray for the court because the guys that were supposed to come through, in this case, Souter and Kennedy, even right, didn't come through." So that's one thing. The second thing yeah. is, thank goodness we have guys like you that are in uh, academia that read the memoirs of Warren. Rudman <laughs> to put these two things together. Uh, so that's fun, but now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so. All right. So that's the truth about Joe Biden. Now, what's the truth on the ground in Pennsylvania? Now, you're in, up in near Pittsburgh and Grove sure. City College, but you've got contacts all across the state. What are you seeing here just a few days before the election? I literally drove across the state, the entirety of it, last Saturday and Sunday from Ohio. I'm about 30 minutes from Ohio in western PA. In fact, I sit on top of uh, Marcellus Shale, what some call, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, really, truly. Western Pennsylvania is, is like the Saudi Arabia of Marcellus Shale, of fracking. And I drove all the way across 80, all the way into New York City. And I've been driving um, all over western PA for months. The signs, the Trump signs are absolutely unbelievable, Ed. And, and I saw it in 2016. I ignored the signs then as statistical indicators. But what we saw in 2016, multiply that by about 100. You can drive down rural roads here in western PA, and every house has a Trump sign. Barns are painted Trump. My, my friend Selena Zito saw a farmer's cow painted with the word Trump <laughs> on it. It's, right. it's it's, it's uh -huh. unbelievable. And, and for people listening, and Ed, I know you know this, in, in 20, 2016, I did not vote for Donald Trump, and I predicted that Hillary Clinton would easily win Pennsylvania and the country. So I was wrong in 2016. But I'm telling you, in 2020, I'm looking at not just signs, literal signs, but the hard data. And, and there is no way that Donald Trump is not going to win Pennsylvania. There, there's no way. I'm telling you, take it to the bank. If I had 100000 dollars I'd bet on it. And and, and, uh, and the numbers on this, yeah. yeah. I think the yeah, very no, tell me, I mean I I mean yeah, tell me, tell me, because here's what I want to ask you. Here's what I want to ask you is, is if the turnout is strong in, in, in rural and in places you saw, but are you worried that, uh, say, in, in Pittsburgh and in, in proper and in Philadelphia proper, some of those counties will be massive turnout against Trump? Not in Allegheny County, which which is the home of Pittsburgh. In fact, I think that that vote will be at least forty percent for Trump. Um, Philadelphia huh. will be a nightmare. Philadelphia is a nightmare. Philadelphia is an awful city. Right. I hate Philadelphia. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's dangerous. 
<laughs> it's dangerous. The people are rude. The uh, the politics are horrific. <laughs> I, I can't believe America was founded there. It's unbelievable. But but of of the of the sixty seven counties, I've got the data right in front of me here, Ed. That Republicans right. have outgained Democrats in registration over the last year in sixty two out of sixty seven counties. The, the Democrats, the only five counties where they've had plus is Allegheny by like a thousand, which is nothing, nothing. Um, right. Dauphin County, which is like 43. That's called, it's a draw. Um, Delaware, Montgomery, and Philadelphia. Um, and, and, you know, outside of that, the Republican pickups in big counties like Erie, Bucks, Lancaster, Washington, Westmoreland, York. Here, let me give you a key number. Donald Trump won Pennsylvania by 44,000 votes in 2016. Right. It, it, since 2016, the Democrats' voting advantage for Pennsylvania has dropped by 200,000. Those have all been Republicans. Those have all been Republicans. Counties, counties like Westmoreland, which have been, which have been Democrats since the Bolsheviks took over Russia. Okay, <laughs> right. Westmoreland became a, a Republican majority county in 2019. And get this, Westmoreland in 2016, when it was still a Democratic county, voted for right. Trump by 64 to 32 by 57,000 votes. There have been 23,000 Westmoreland Democrats who became Republicans since 2008. That's just one county in Western PA. When Joe Biden answered the question the way he did on fracking and oil at the end of the last, last debate, at that very moment, he lost Pennsylvania. And and the very latest, I think the real clear politics spread on Pennsylvania, the polls is like 3.6. Throw it out. Three quarters of those polls were done before the debate. The the two most recent real clear politics, two most recent polls for Pennsylvania, Trump is up in both of them. There's no way Trump loses Pennsylvania. No way. He wins Pennsylvania, and he will win the Electoral College. Well, and and I I have to say I wonder uh, you know I, I had someone tell me and I know you're disdain for Philadelphia but you're also observer of politics. Someone said the combination of the the police unions, a lot of the rank and file being for Trump, some of the unions being for Trump, but the traditional yeah. get out the vote. You know, David Axelrod was on CNN this morning and he was uh, or I don't know when it was in the last thirty six hours and he he said basically Miami Dade County they're not performing the way they want and then he went quiet and he. He said, even more troubling in this is the numbers where African-Americans are not turning out. And I thought, that's the end of the game if you can't turn out your core constituency. Right. Which, that's why Trump won in 2016, because Hillary didn't get the black vote that came out in right. profusion for, for Obama. And Biden's not going to get it either. And what's even worse is a, a, a pretty remarkable number of that, those black votes, especially black men, are going to go for Trump. Now, now believe right. me, it's not 50 percent. It's not even going to be 25. OK, but, right. but if it was 15 that's a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, it, and, it, and, it, and, it's and, over. And, 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 and
And let me ask you one. We're talking with Dr. Paul Kengor, and I'll put up his article at, uh, that he's got. He's got a lot of stuff. He's over at Grove City College. One last question, Paul, because you fit into this category. Someone who uh, is a described, self-described conservative, self-described, um, you know, uh, a pro-life conservative. You were not for Trump. You weren't energetic for Trump. Now, my point here is there's not a lot of normal people. There's some in the swamp that are Republicans that say they're never Trumpers. Most normal Republicans long ago realized you know, Justice Barrett, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Gorsuch, right. uh, tax cuts, you know, and they're running through a wall. In other words, the Republican base, there's not a lot of pro-life groups that are saying, well, we'll just sit this out or, you know, pro-tax groups that are saying, yeah, I don't see a difference. I think that's going to be another part of what feels like a wave. Yeah, and, and I haven't met anyone, Ed, who voted for Trump in 2016 who's not going to vote for him this time. I've met only people who, who didn't vote for him in 2016 but are going to vote for him this time. And a lot of people, especially here in western Pennsylvania, two things, uh, court packing and fracking, they feel that right. Biden has forced them to vote against him. They, they, they right. feel that they have no option but to stop Biden and Harris. It, it's not just that they can't vote for, for Biden and Harris. They feel that they must vote for his opponent, which is Donald Trump, even if they don't really like him that much, because they cannot let Biden and Harris pack the court and, 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 and abolish fracking. So, the, so you know, yeah. Democrats listening, this is your fault, <laughs> okay? Right. This is your <laughs> fault. Yeah. You guys yeah. Did this. No. Just well, like you did and, it in 2016. It's your fault. And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't help to burn Philadelphia four nights before the election. That doesn't help anybody's comfort level that no. you got a party lawn. All right, Paul, I got to run. Dr. Paul Kanger, as always, a very valuable contributor and a great writer. I appreciate it very much, Paul. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ed. All right. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's time to check in with Ted Malik. Dr. Ted Malik is, of course, uh, a well-known author. Uh, he's a businessman. He wears a lot of hats. But right now, he's a go-to guy over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. Probably once a week, twice a week, he'll, he'll be over there. And his piece, which is up over there, is the, uh, the kind of ending uh, quintessential question for this uh, election, this piece that I have. It's actually, have a, I don't know, a week ago he wrote this. It's called the more or less test. And I wanted to ask you, Ted Malik, we're at this point a few days before the election. Where are we on this test? Where are we on the uh, on the election? Give me your thoughts. Well, uh, with the unprecedented uh, covid uh, character of this election, we have, you know, 75 million people who have already voted. Uh, we have a massive amount of, you know, mail in ballots and absentee ballots. So. It's frankly unlike any past election. Uh, it's also um, uh, highly polarized. I think we all see that. The mainstream media won't even report the news on one of the candidates. Uh, and he remains right. in his bunker in the basement. And our guy is out there, I mean, like Superman, doing three, four events a day to crowds of 10, 20, 35,000 people. So all the enthusiasm is on our side. Here's the line I'd like to use, Ed. We all love baseball. Yeah. And the, de the yeah. Democrats, I think, are saying this right now. Going, going, gone. <laughs> 
Yeah. This election yeah. <laughs> is slipped away from the Democrats. Well, and we're talking with Ted Malik, and you know, Ted, I wanted to ask you about. I, th- I, I think I've, I've been saying for a while. It's I call it the Biden fade. You know, you're watching the guy; he's supposed to be so strong, and he has to fade. And the pollsters have to come back to the reality. The pollsters want to work after this election, so they have to tighten up the race, and then so, and then it's the Trump surge. Trump is surging with energy and all. And here's what I want to ask you, Ted: There was a, a survey a few weeks ago uh, of American people it said 56 percent said they're better off now than they were four years ago. And then they got all these other polls that say you know Trump's not popular. And but, you know, uh, in the last day or two, we had this huge Q3, third quarter growth, unemployment numbers, uh, you know, at the best looking in a long time. Directionally, isn't it kind of an echo that there is a guy who knows how to run the American economy and and has had it red hot? Yeah, we're fighting the pandemic and we will for yeah. a while. But I, so my question is, are voters, I, I mean, I think they're not, but I, I think they're smarter than I'm going to say. Are voters dumb enough to think that Joe Biden could could lead us and our our country and the economy. Uh, I mean, are there, are there that many dumb voters? Well, there are probably sixty million dumb voters. Yeah, uh, and some of them want more <laughs> socialism and more government and you know uh, everything that's uh, against Trump. But I think there are more smart voters, and and they're coming to their senses. They're seeing you know the corruptness of the other candidate. They're saying, look, I like the price of gas that I'm putting into my car. I, I was in Ohio right. last week. It's a dollar it's eighty-five a gallon. Uh, I like right. the fact that we're fracking in Pennsylvania because that means we're energy independent. I like the fact that the third quarter growth was the highest recorded quarterly growth in American history. Now, that's a comeback. We've been talking about this V-shaped recovery. We're in that. Do you want to continue that? Or do you want to go to a depression? Because right. I've got a way for you to go to a depression quickly, and that is to cast <laughs> yeah. a ballot for Joe Biden. Ted so Malik, uh, you can go to Ted. are coming to their go senses, yeah. Yeah. TedMalik.com, by the way. It's Malik at O-C-H, if you don't remember. TedMalik.com. All of his writings are there and his books and all. Um, Ted, I want to ask you a different question because our listeners, my listeners, you're on frequently. They know you have this Im- immense record of accomplishment having taught at American universities and all. But you live in London. And so your perspective on the EU and everything else in France now two terrible Islamic terror attacks in the last week. The the economies of Europe are stalled. I mean, are we actually, forget about the great, uh, I call it the great pause, the American having, we paused our economy to try to get control of the pandemic. Are we watching the kind of death rattle of Europe? This is really ugly stuff, isn't it? Well, uh, people like George Weigel and myself have been writing about this for a decade. So this is a slow decline Europe is less and less meaningful. It is more and more secular. Islam is more and more uh, taking over the public square. And you've got these constant, I mean, just it hardly surprises us anymore, constant flow of terrorist uh, activities yesterday, sadly, again, in Nice and in France. But it happens every day somewhere in Europe. So uh, we have a lot to be thankful for in America. And we have a president who stood up to all of these trends. So we have to maintain that guard and, in fact, go on the offensive, as I would say. In Europe, they've well, given and- up the offensive completely. 
Yeah, and you know, I said to somebody, it's almost like the late Phyllis Schlafly, my boss, used to talk about military superiority, which she said was derived from Washington's, George Washington's statement that you have to have a good enough army to beat anybody, and people have to know it. And uh, you know, I, I think the president has, regarding terrorism, we have a sort of, uh, I don't know, mil, you know, kind of a, a, a you know, national superiority. I don't think anybody wants to come mess with America. You know, you're not going to get a, a Islamic terrorist who would mess with America because they know the guy in charge is, is going to go, you know, harder than you've ever seen to protect American citizens. All right. So, Ted, um, the different question is the pandemic. You know, we're watching Europe uh, mm-hmm. spike again or whatever that means. Right. It just means it's a bad bu- it's a bad virus. I mean, this is a real deal. I, I one yeah, thing I yeah. tell people is some places are spiking because there's more old people there and it, it hurts them more. But, um, I, you know, the president said we got to open up. We got to keep moving. The cure can't be uh, worse than the than the illness. Are we through this? You know, he said we're rounding it. I mean, are we we're just going to have to live with it for a while. Are we through the the pandemic uh, pause that they, they tried to make the economy do? Well, I think in this country we are largely, although there are some states and some governors who still want to lock people up, keep kids out of school, and put small and medium-sized businesses you know, out of work. In Europe, it seems like they're going back to that philosophy with a few exceptions in Hungary and Poland and Sweden, who interestingly never had a lockdown in the first place, is doing better than anybody else. So the, the real question is, and I've said this for months now, is how quickly can we get to this warp speed solution? And Trump is on that you know, buzz line and, and, and the vaccine and, and all the uh, uh, cures are in the pipeline. Uh, it looks like by sometime the end of November, the beginning of December, we can actually say we have a vaccine and we can get it into the arms of 100 million people. And those are Americans first. And they should go to the frontline defenders and the military and the police and the school teachers and then people over 65. So, yeah, it'll be a, a tiered in kind of thing. But the younger people are really, while some of them get sick, my own son got sick the other day, uh, they're not dying from this. Yeah, no, you know, in fact, uh, we're talking with Ted Malik, uh, tedmalik.com and, and for his many books. And I said the same thing. Look, one of the numbers I saw, and I kind of did a double take and came back, University of Alabama, after the kids went back to school, some extraordinary number, 1,500, 2,000 kids got it. And then the next yeah. line was number of hospitalizations, zero. I mean, so in, yeah. in some ways, let these kids go and be together. And, 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 and you know, again, we want to be careful and all the rest of that. Uh, but, okay, now let me back up, Ted, because I want to make sure we just got a few days before the election. Um, you know, the uh, Joe Biden says character is on the the ballot. Um, President sure. Trump's uh, one of the speakers at the convention said the he's the bodyguard of Western civilization. You know, say it in a, a minute or two. What's at stake in this election? Well, I think everything that America stood for, everything that America has been built on, our Constitution our uh, republic, our democratic way of governing, our institutions, the Supreme Court, everything is on the line because all that will be wiped out if this ill-begotten, really criminal character who has run an organized crime family becomes president of the United States. In my view, he will be either indicted, 25th Amendment, or ill and out senile within the first six months of his presidency. And we'll have a president then who is the most liberal, I would say, socialist member of the U.S. Senate. And they want to ram through everything that, in fact, will make America 
unknown to the people who have lived here and grew up here and have had country and family and patriotic roots their entire lives. Yeah. Well, Ted Malik, as always, thank you for coming on, and I will put uh, your, your recent column up. I'll put it on social media. And uh, look, as soon as we get through the election uh, on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, let's have you back on and talk about it, because uh, my prediction, Ted, is it's going to be a landslide. Uh, you know, it's going to be here, here's how crazy I am, uh, but I can feel it. Uh, I think places like New Jersey and California, New York, you can't win them. Democrats will always win, but you can get a lot more votes than you should. And I think suddenly mm-hmm. you're going to have a president who not, not only wins the Electoral College, but but ends up with the popular vote by a little bit because people look at my brother's in Massachusetts. He's a Marine retired. And he says all around him are people that are when they, you know, are giving him the signs that, hey, we're here. So, again, we can't win those places because of the big cities, but you can do better than people think. And uh, and then we're uh, we're really going to see what a second term unleashed Trump will be like. Exactly. Well, I only care about one number today. And that number is 270. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Exactly. All right. Ted Malik, as always, uh, yeah, cutting through at tedmalik.com, everybody. Uh, thanks very much, Ted. And we'll, we'll have you back on right after the election to uh, talk about it. All right, guys, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. At the Republican primary debate in Houston, Texas, on February 25th, 2016, Donald Trump said, I would defund Planned Parenthood because of the abortion factor which they say is 3%. I don't know what percentage it is. They say it's 3%, but I defund it because I'm pro-life. After being elected to the presidency, Trump didn't forget his promise to the millions of pro-life Americans who pleaded for action. One can't say the same for the Republican House and Senate elected with President Trump in 2016. With control of both the House and Senate, congressional Republicans had everything they needed to take down Planned Parenthood once and for all. Most of them never would have been able to win their election without the promises to do so. Nevertheless, these so-called pro-life Republicans totally dropped the ball when they had their best chance in years to fully defund the nation's largest abortion provider. President Trump didn't sign a bill defunding Planned Parenthood because the spineless Congress under Speaker Paul Ryan didn't pass one. However, President Trump didn't shrug his shoulders and give up when Congress caved. Trump instructed his Department of Health and Human Services to cut all Title X funding to organizations providing abortion. Just as he had promised in the debate, Trump's goal was to stop federal dollars from going to abortion providers, not just to punish a hated group. The new HHS rules graciously offered to keep giving money to Planned Parenthood if they were willing to stop providing abortions. Predictably, Planned Parenthood announced they would no longer draw money from the $286 million Title X program. Apparently, that 3% is really important to them. The fight against Planned Parenthood continues, but President Trump has certainly done his part by dealing a massive blow to the nation's largest abortion giant. Plenty of Republicans have talked about fighting against the evil of abortion. But President Trump has been the only one willing and able to make real change to protect the unborn. If pro-life is the issue you care about most on November 3rd, don't be fooled by pretty words without action to back them up. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, welcome back. Ed Martin here, and we have one final segment. I want to lay out for you the truth of the 2020 election. And this is the big one. And I I know you've been waiting for it. And I have a lot of uh, uh, details here I want to run through. But uh, first, let me just tell you, this is one of the most extraordinary elections. Everybody says that, but that we've ever seen. The pandemic made it so. The breakdown of the media made it so. the, uh, the, The quality of the candidates made it so. And by that, I mean Trump is one of a one in a generation or one in more than that. And Biden is not a strong candidate. So um, it but even still, it's just an amazing time. Right. Our our, our nation is divided. So um, here's what I want to tell you. I am predicting now that uh, Donald Trump will not only win re-election, but I'm predicting that he will do um, extraordinarily better than people see coming, even people that believe in him. And here's my rationale for that. And let me tell you a story about it. In 2016, I was an early Trump supporter in the 2016 cycle, and I had just come off of serving on the Republican National Committee. I was uh, known as uh, something of a gadfly because I had been complaining about about the terrible, uh, poorly managed managed RNC, the Republican National Committee. I was chairman of the party in Missouri, Republican Party. Therefore, you serve on the National Committee. It was just a mess. It was kind of um, what you'd expect as a fundraising racket. Uh, they raised a lot of money and they spent a lot of money with a lot of different vendors and nobody seemed to win. And when I was early on in my tenure, they published an autopsy of the 2012 election that was just nonsense. It was made up. You know, if we just speak uh, in Spanish and we're nicer on social issues, we'll win. Nonsense. That's not how people feel and not how voters vote. And so I was a gadfly. And then in 2015, 2016, I was looking at the candidates and I was thinking maybe Scott Walker could be strong. He'd stood up to the unions. He'd been battle tested. He'd won in a key state. And then he faded. He fell for the, uh, the he fell for the racket, the, uh, the presidential uh, primary um, a racket. Both parties fall for it where you raise a boatload of money and then you lose and, and you, you see it regularly. Um, but, um, and, and Kamala Harris, by the way, did this the last time. She hired all the right consultants ran out of money because she raised a boatload of money, but they, they just, uh, they suck you dry. That's what happened to Scott Walker, happened to Jeb Bush. And here was Trump. And on the key issues, Trump was talking about America in a way that I understood American exceptionalism, standing up to China, no more wars, all these things. And he had the media skills to communicate. So I was for Trump early. But in 2016, uh, if you if you were for Trump, you were considered by everybody to be kind of silly. And some people would get mad at you. You know, some of the Ted Cruz supporters were upset because they thought that everybody who was for Trump should have been for Cruz. So sometimes they were mad at you. But most people just thought you were silly. And they thought, oh, you're back in Donald Trump. He's going to lose the biggest loss in history. And on the day before the election, 
I flew up from my home in St. Louis, Missouri, to Washington, D.C., and I made the rounds as a media uh, interviewer, a, you know, a surrogate for Donald Trump. And I was on all sorts of TV channels and, I don't know, five or six and a bunch of radio channels. I was on Fox and Sky News, I think NBC. Maybe it was one of the cable, NBC, CNBC, I don't know. Um, and, and a whole bunch of other ones, actually, and, and a lot of radio and what I would say, I was almost always paired with a, a Hillary voice. And so there was a panel, you know, the, the host says, oh, we've got Ed Martin here and we've got Hillary Clinton's person here. And almost always they would say to the Hillary person, your candidate's about to win a historic election. And I would and then they turn to me and they'd say, your candidate's about to lose a landslide. And I would say, look, I'm from Missouri. In Missouri, I know things pretty well. I don't know the whole country, but I have a sense of it. You know, I've run for office before. I have some experience, but I just know Missouri well. And in Missouri, Donald Trump is polling at four points. He's going to win by four. And I said, I think he's going to win by a lot more in Missouri. And he won by 19. Donald Trump won Missouri by 19. The last poll in Missouri had him winning by four. Donald Trump won by 19. The sitting U.S. senator at the time he won his reelection was Roy Blunt. He won by 1.5 percent. So about 17 percent of the people didn't want to vote for the Republican for U.S. Senate, but voted for Trump. You see what I mean? He has something different. And four years later, he now has a record. And here's why Trump is going to win an extraordinarily strong victory. One, he now has everybody in the Republican Party behind him. Two, he has a record now of having done what he said, especially drain the swamp. He has stood up to the swamp. He hasn't drained it completely. But the American people that voted for him in Missouri, for example, and didn't vote for the, sit the senior senator, the sitting senator, they, they are voting for Trump again. You see, they're, they're not, they don't think he became the swamp. In fact, Joe Biden is the swamp. And then you go into other things. What, what is it about 2020 that's different than 2016? In 2016, I told you I was called silly, a fool to back Trump. In 2020, if you tell someone you're for Trump, about a third of the country has been programmed by CNN and MSNBC and the Washington Post and the New York Times. A third of the country will probably call you a racist or worse if you say you're for Trump. So who do you think is telling the pollsters any truth? Nobody. Nobody's telling the truth about the polls. Not a person. A lot of Trump supporters are just lying to the pollsters on purpose because it's fun. But a lot of normal people are not telling the truth. And then this, Donald Trump has been the single most attractive Republican leader to the widest range of Americans we've had ever. If you're LGBTQ, a lot of the people that are in that community, they think Donald Trump's been really good to them. He appointed the first gay cabinet member. They love to cite all these things. But he's been he's he's not been uh, a threat to them. And a lot of them think he's been great to them. If you're in the um, African-American community, you see real progress under Trump and you see a guy who fights for all of you, not just the hyphenated Americans of the moment, because if you're a black man, you're not a black woman and only black women were allowed to be the vice president or next Supreme Court pick. That's what Biden said. Hispanic Americans, Indian Americans, Asian Americans in general, they're all looking up and they're saying, um, I want to be on Team America, where the captain of Team America is trying to lift all the boats. He's not just doing this for the environmentalists or that for the hyphenated Americans. He's lifting everybody up. And so here's my prediction. The polls have all been wrong. The voters are going to speak. And here's where you're not going to believe it. But Donald Trump's going to win the popular vote.
Because in California, in New Jersey, in New York, in places where it's impossible probably to win the race, he's going to get more votes than ever because people are going to make their voice heard. And so he's not going to lose California by as much as uh, he lost to Hillary. He's not going to lose New Jersey by as much as he lost to to, uh, Hillary. He's not going to lose New York. You get the point. He's going to win the popular vote and he's going to win all the states he won before. And he's going to pick up New Hampshire, New Mexico, Nevada. He's going to pick up about two or three states, a few more senators. And when we're done, it's going to be so obvious on the night of the election that it's going to be clear he's going to have won a landslide. He'll win the House. The Republicans will have the House narrowly with probably five seats, which will make it very tough for Speaker Kevin McCarthy. But it will be there. And the Senate will pick up three seats, four seats. They'll pick up Alabama, Michigan, New Hampshire, Minnesota. They might lose Colorado, the Republicans. Cory Gardner's got a tough race. They might lose Arizona. McSally's been a little bit in the swamp, not very easy to get her elected. But what I'm telling you is when we're done, you're going to see inside the data that Donald Trump has been the most attractive Republican candidate for the largest number of Americans. When these people tell you that the suburban women are going to vote for Joe Biden, they're not paying attention to two factors. Suburban women see Philadelphia burning last night. Two nights ago, three nights ago, they see the looting and they recognize Portland, Philadelphia, Seattle, Chicago, New York, downtown D.C. are being run by the leftists, the Democrats. They don't want that. They want law and order. One party's for that and won't denounce it. And one party's denouncing it and saying, let us come in and and clean it up. And that's Trump wants to clean it up. And the Democrats want to look the other way because they're afraid. And the last thing that suburban women's know is one party, one leader has said we had to shut down the economy because of the threat of the pandemic. But we've got to get going. Open the schools, play football, get back to work. And Joe Biden's got his mask on, pulled up over his eyes, telling you to be afraid. We're going to have to shut it down. Suburban women, everybody, nobody wants that. So hang on for a few more days, work hard and understand what's at stake but trust me, the American people's wisdom is better, is better and sharper than you think. And what we'll have to do after this is treat each other well, take care of each other and heal a bit. But it'll be great. And we'll talk more about that. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of this. I'm Ed Martin. You can always go over, by the way, to ProAmericaReport.com and uh, grab all my stuff there. And I will look forward uh, to talking to you again soon. Have a great weekend, everybody. God bless. Yeah.